This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Okay, good evening everyone. <clears throat> Tonight's learning is dedicated to Lilo Nishmas, Avraham Yitzchak Ben Yaakov. Tonight we will be learning Parshas Toldos. Um, Parshas Toldos is jam-packed like all the other many Parshas and Sefer Bracious with lots of different different things to talk about. So we're going to try as much to get to as we can uh, this evening. We all know the backdrop of Parshas Toldos. Like we mentioned in the beginning, all the Parshas and Sefer Bracious really flow into each other. There's a continuation. There is a... Um, a background from one Pasha to the next that's very important in order to appreciate the whole story that we have. But as we all know from last week's Parsha, last week's Parsha closed with a very, very, uh, I guess a happy ending, a really beautiful ending where the Torah tells us how um, Yitzchak marries Rivka. And now does he marry Rivka, but Rivka seems to be the perfect replacement for his mother. She has all the character traits that his mother had, and therefore she seems to be that perfect girl to fill very, very large shoes, the shoes of Sari Menu, which is not a simple thing, but she seems to fit all the requirements to be a fantastic, wonderful wife for Yitzchak. And with that backdrop, we open up this week's parsha when we begin to learn more about this new married couple, the young couple, Yitzchak and Rivka, and we get insight into their life and the future of Klai Yisrael, which they will produce in this week's parsha, and that's how the Torah opens up with that backdrop. Last week's parsha, we all know of, was the marriage of Yitzchak and Rivka. Everyone knows last week's parsha was the big parsha about Shaduchim. Everyone talks about Shaduchim in last week's parsha. I guess if we follow that, then this week's parsha should all be all about having children or raising children, because that's the continuation into this week's parsha. So we open up with this week's parsha. The Torah opens up with a, with we really will actually open up with last week's pasuk. I like to connect from last week's parsha. I want to open up with a pasuk in last week's parsha. The last pasuk in last week's parsha. So last week's parsha, the Torah seems to be a little bit out of order, because <clears throat> in last week's parsha, the Torah tells us Avram Avinu dies, but we actually know Avram Avinu does not die until uh, until Yitzchak and Yaakov, uh, until Yaakov and Esav are the age of fifty. So there, yeah, Avram Avinu is alive for a few more parshas, and if I'm not mistaken, I think I quoted this in other years. Ramosha Wolfson points out that this is the only parsha parshas told us is the only parsha when Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov are all alive together. For the first 15 years of Yaakov Avinu's life, he merited to have his grandfather around, and that is really the told us. That's something beautiful when you can have three generations together. We spoke about this in the past. The importance of three generations together. Gemara says that when you have three generations together, Taisus points out they have to see each other, that's been an interaction between the three generations today, Baruch Hashem, many people are lucky that they can be part of three generations, many, many are even lucky to be part of four generations, they get to be involved in the generations, they get to see, go, interact, whether it be technologically, whether it be in person, grandparents today are, are I always joke, they're making grandparents younger and younger today, Baruch Hashem, so grandparents and great-grandparents and in Halavai Viter get to be involved in their children and grandchildren, they get to go to their sitter plays and their siyumim and their events, and it's something really, really special. So this week's parish of the Torah still has the uh, three generation Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov. The Medrash says they used to learn together for something like 15 hours a day. I don't suggest learning with your grandchildren for 15 hours a day. Halavai, but I don't think it's going to go too well. But uh, that's what the Medrash tells us. But at the end of last week's parish, after we find out about Yishmael, 
which because which is also interesting. Last week's parasha, we we were heavily till now we've been heavily discussing Yishmael. So we all know Yishmael as our as our distant cousin, the Arabs, who have been no um, fans of the Jews and have obviously made our life very very difficult. In this week's parasha, we're going to be exposed to really another cousin of ours, um, Esav, which represents Edom, which represents Christianity, which has also been no great friends to the Jewish people. You don't have to go so far back in history to realize all the terrible things that the church and Christianity has done, the Crusades, and it goes on and on, even during the Holocaust. They're coming up now with a lot of new information. They have opened the archives to find out what exactly was the church's involvement um, during the Holocaust, how much they knew, how much they didn't know, what could they have done. So let's make no mistakes. I know it's not politically correct to say this, but the the, the Christians and the church were never any great fans of Klai Yisrael. So we open this week's parasha with a new so to say, enemy that we're going to grapple with, Esav, and we're going to go with him for many parashiyas now, but remind us, that's what Chazal called Edoin, that's the Christianity, they are obviously no fellow, they are no friends of the Jews again today, Baruch Hashem, we don't see it so openly, which is a good thing, don't get me wrong, but make no mistake, throughout Jewish history, the uh, the Christian church and Christians have never been big, big fans of the Jewish people. So we have at the end of last week's parasha, after Yishmael goes to a process, he does tshuva, the Pasuk tells us, Al kol echov nafal, on the face of his brothers he will fall. So there's a beautiful Balaturim. The Balaturim writes that what is the connection between the last three words of last week's parasha and the opening Pasuk, Eila told us, Yitzchak, Eila told us, <coughs> these are the children of Yitzchak. Writes the Balaturim, he says, because Kishiyipol Yishmael Ba'achra Seyamim. When Yishmael will eventually fall, Oz Yitzmach Ben David. Then will sprout, then will come out Mashiach Ben David, Shahum Mitoldois of Yitzchak, because he is from the descendant of Yitzchak. So Balaturim is showing the juxtaposition of the two Psukim of Yishmael falling and Yitzchak's children being born is to teach us that we will not see the rise of Judaism, meaning the rise of Mashiach. Says the Balaturim, we will not see Yitzmach ben David, which is a reference to Mashiach, until the Yishmaelim are nafal. What does it mean Yishmaelim are going to be nafal? Yishmaelim are going to fall? How are we going to bring down the Arabs? The Arabs are so strong, they make up a large population, and they're strong and they're kicking. They're not such a simple religion to bring down. So if I'm not mistaken, I think I might have seen this in one of Rabbi Fran, Yisachar Fran's books. He perhaps he points out that how can we bring down Yishmael? So he suggests that the way we're going to bring down Yishmael is we're going to beat them at their own game. One of the things Yishmael is known for is their davening. They, uh, they excel in davening. They're unbelievable daveners. They would all get davener of the year awards because we all know the Arabs, if many people have seen this with their own eyes, they are not embarrassed like we are to have to ask to say, I'm sorry, I need to go pray. They are very blatant about their davening. They will daven wherever, whenever. They take davening very seriously. They take prayer very seriously. They pray five times a day. So maybe if we want to bring Yishmael down, we have to be better than them. We have to daven better than Yishmael. We have to show Hashiva Satvila better than Yishmael. We're coming now into the, uh, we're going to change the clocks and it's going to be very, very difficult for many people to daven Mincha. Mincha becomes a very big Nisan, which is why in last week's parasha, we know Yitzchak was Mesak in Tfilas Mincha, and the Mishayim already tell us, the Torah and others, that Mincha is a very special Tfilah because it's a very difficult Tfilah. You're in the middle of the workday, you've got to stop everything at 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock to Dav Mincha, you're in the middle of a meeting, you're in the middle of other things, it's not so simple. But the Arabs do it, they have no problem, they're in the middle of something, they'll just stop everything to Dav it. So we've got to be better than them. If they're going to do that, we also have to do that. Kol Shekin. And we have to take our davening more seriously, we have to be more makbin on davening, we have to be more careful with davening, we have to be more uh, on top of davening. So maybe that's the way we can 
fulfill this balatum, if we want to see Mashiach to come, we need to be make sure that Yishmael is nafal, Yishmael falls down. We don't have the ability to attack them physically. Baruch Hashem, we have the army night soul that's protecting Kalaiso from them and potential attacks, but we can't go out on the offense and start annihilating the Arab countries. It wouldn't go wouldn't look very good for the Jewish people. But the way we can bring them down from a spiritual level, is to beat them at their own game. We need to be better than them. Okay, so now we open up with Pasha's told us. Pasha's told us opens up with a very interesting Pasuk. The Eilat told us Yitzchak ben Avraham. These are the children of Yitzchak, the son of Avraham. Avraham hoilid es Yitzchak. Avraham bore Yitzchak. So right away, we're talking about children that didn't exist yet. A very strange Pasuk. The Eilat told us Yitzchak ben Avraham. He didn't have the kids yet, as we'll see in a few minutes. <coughs> The opening Rashi is quite unique as well. The opening Rashi, Rashi says, Ve'ela told us Yitzchak, Yaakov Esav Amurim Parsha. As if Rashi is giving you some secret over here that you want to know who are we referring to. These are the kids that we're going to get to in a few seconds. So seemingly what Rashi is telling you is that that um, <clears throat> although Yaakov, Yitzchak didn't have any children yet, but it's in the future. We're going to get to Esav and Yaakov in a few minutes. That's what we're going to get to later. But Rashi <clears throat> is bothered with the Kasha as many others are also bothered with. That what does it mean Av, Av, if if Yitzchak is Ben Avraham, right? So Yitzchak's father was Avraham. So obviously Avraham, how is Yitzchak? It would seem to be uh, extra wording in the Pesukim. It goes without saying that if Yitzchak was the son of Avraham, then Avraham is the father of Yitzchak. So Rashi quotes over here. <clears throat> Rashi quotes a famous Medrash, really based on a Gemara as well. That the Gemara tells us that there was the what's called the Leitzani Hador. There were the jokesters of the generation. Who started a rumor? They started fake news. That what? That Avimelech Abrasar. They started a rumor that Yitzchak was not the fa- Yitzchak's father was not Avraham, but rather Yitzchak's father was Avimelech. Why? Because so many years Avraham and Yitzchak are married, they have no children. All of a sudden, Avimelech takes Sarah for a night, and the next uh, next thing you know, it's Sarah has a baby. So the Leitzoni Hadar. And note that interesting washing of Rashi Leitzoni Hadar. A Leitz is a jokester. So Rashi says the jokesters of the generation started to spread a rumor that Avimelech was really the father. So Rashi tells us Hashem made a miracle and he made Avram and Yitzchak look alike. And that's Pshat on the Pasuk, Yitzchak ben Avraham, Shari Eidos, Shavram Hoyle Yitzchak. So it says Rashi, how do you read the Pasuk? You read the Pasuk like this Yitzchak ben Avraham, Yitzchak is the son of Avram, and how do you know it? Because Yitzchak looks exactly like Avram, therefore Avraham Hoyle Yitzchak. It's a proof. You want to know how I know that he's the father? Because they mamish look alike. They look alike. Now, the truth is, the Taz already points this out in his commentary on Chumash. He says, if you look up the Gemara in Bab the Gemara in Bab is much more drastic than Rashi says. The Gemara says in Bab that when he made in Parshas, uh, I forgot already, a few Parshas back, Parshas Lech Lecha and Vayera, Parshas Vayera. So the Pasit, uh, yeah, he says that he made a party, Biyom Higomalas Yitzchak. That Avram Avinu made some form of a party. So Rashi learns it was a two-year-old birthday party. But there the Gemara says that at this party, they wanted to test Sarah to see if she really had a baby, so they brought all these outside babies to nurse from Sarah. So I think we mentioned this in the Gemara, I don't know if everyone heard it. We mentioned back then that they asked, I think the Chedush Rim, I think they asked well, the, the, the Gera Rebbe, the Chedush Rim. they asked him, where do you know the source for Shirayim? Anyone's ever been to Chassidish Atish, you know that it's very popular to give out leftovers. So the Chedush Rim says, you learn it from that story, because it says in the Medrash that all the babies that drink that were nursed by Sarah that day, all became big Yerushimayim. 
So the Chdush Rim said that what's Pshat? Because there was Yitzchak's leftovers. First, Yerifka nursed Yitzchak. And after she nursed Yitzchak, she nursed all the other babies. So they all got Yitzchak's leftovers. They got Yitzchak's Shirayim. Arado, they got Yerushimayim. When a person takes Shirayim from a Yerushimayim, they get, they get Yerushimayim. So the Makar for Shirayim was learned from that story. But the Gemara tells us, <clears throat> and the Taz points this out, is that during that party, they weren't convinced. So in the middle of the party, all of a sudden Hashem made a miracle that Yitzchak's face changed the middle. We always think that Yitzhak was born like every other baby under the sun. Every baby that's born, everyone fights about who he looks like. Does he look like their mother's side? Does he look like the father's side? As if it makes a difference. And in my opinion, all babies look the same. They don't look like anything, at least for a few months. I say it about my own kids. It takes a few months until they start to have a tzura of something. But uh, everyone thinks Yitzhak, the moment he was born, everyone said, oh, he looks just like Avram Avinu. No. Says the Taz, no, the, the day he came out, he, like, he may look like any other baby. But then when, when, the, when, the, when it gained traction... That people were saying that Avram might not be the father. Hashem changed it on the spot. He changed his face to look like Avram Avinu, which is Mamish a real, real miracle, right? To make a baby look like his father is not such a big chiddush. Today you have plenty of children. You could see the child and say, "Okay, I know who your father is." I, I people do it with my children. I one of my daughters looks exactly like my wife. It's a dead giveaway. It's not even a question. She looks exactly like my wife. Okay, so that's a, it's a, it's a big deal, but it's not a nation of an ace. But the chiddush over here was that when Yitzchak was already two years old. And he looked a certain way at this party. Hashem switched it to make him look now like Avram Avinu to put to ease the taina of the Latsani Hadar. But the kasha that Reb Steinman points out really <clears throat> is um, why are we giving them so much credence? Tell the Latsani Hadar to go fly a kite, stop printing fake news, and leave us alone. Hashem made a neshebenes just to calm down the Latsani Hadar. Today we live in a generation where everyone's a late. Everyone's got something to say and everyone has their two cents to add. So we tell them to go bug off. So all of a sudden Hashem had to make this massive miracle to, to combat the Litzani Adar. Why? So Reb Steinman explains because this wasn't, just a, this wasn't just a question in a DNA test. Who is the baby? This is a blow to Avram Avinu's entire life. Avram Avinu lived a life of MS, a life of Nisim, a life of Hashem involved in the world. And if Avram Avinu was lying that he didn't father this baby, and he really can't, then the whole story, the whole bubble is popped. The whole idea of what Avram Avinu is preaching. It's a whole, it's, it's, a, it's a testimonial to Avram Avinu and the religion that he's trying to preach. Therefore says Reb Steinman, nah, I, I can't allow that to happen. Hashem said, no, no, this is not just a question of Avram Avinu, the father, not the father. This is a question of where does Judaism stand in the world, in the world's view? And that's something that's way too important, says Rabbi Steinman, for, for the world to think of, of monotheism and Judaism in a, in a negative light, in, an, in a non-honest way to say that it's not true, it's Shekhar, all that. Therefore, Hashem had to step in and put them to rest. But the kasha that everyone has on this Rashi, <clears throat> and we spoke about it before, is why they called late Sonim. A late is a jokester. They should be called chakranim. They're liars. They're lying. They're peddling a fake story. That's not called the lates. When you want to, when someone makes up a story, and he sells it, what do we call him? Call him a liar. We don't call him a jokester. So there's numerous answers that are given. We mentioned in the past the, the classical answer from the Briskarov. As Briskarov points out over here, is if you stop and think about it, what would they gain by saying that Sarah is is the Avimelech is the father? At the end of the day, the miracle still is Sarah had a baby at, at 90. It's not going to take away from the miracle. 
the miracle is still going to be as strong as it was that a 90-year-old woman had a baby. And that's perhaps even a bigger miracle than Avraham, giving, than Avraham having the, the, being the father. Because we know men can have babies when they're much older. So the fact that there's going to be a, a miracle over here, that's going to be on Sarah's end. And that no one's debating. So points out to Biskirov that this is the way these people work. Alates, the way they work is that they need to just knock it down. They need to knock down the godless of what it is. So instead of it being a double whammy nace, that it was an old man and an old woman, oh fine, we'll be an old lady. They'll, they'll diminish the miracle, but they can't completely eradicate the miracle. That's Alates. Alates tries to uh, lower the level of the miracle. And that's what we've mentioned before in Perki Avis, that Kairach V'cha'adosa is labeled the lates. What, what do you mean he's a lates? Kairach didn't do uh, late night TV comedy. What do you mean he's a lates? The answer is a lates is someone who tries to devalue things. The world right now was amazed. The world said, unbelievable, look at God. He blessed an elderly couple with a baby. That's, that's the hand of God. And, and, and the lates of him said, it's not God, relax, it's this, that, and the other. A lates takes the ear out of the out of the out of the balloon, so to say. When there's something amazing that takes place and you just kill it, that's the late. And we have we have a lot of late in our in our world today, both in the Jewish world and the non-Jewish world. When anything special happens or anything that that's an awe moment, they try to say, "Ah, it's not such a big deal. This is not a big deal. That's not a big deal." That's all trying to bring down the greatness of our Kaddish Baruch I saw a cute pshat. It's not. It's it's MS from a David Kviat. He points out that where did this rumor start? So he points out a very interesting word. He points out it started from the fact that Avimelech got sick. His whole family, the whole, the whole, uh, the whole kingship had uh, different issues with their um, with their uh, body and other things. So Avram Avinu Davin, they should get better. So the root, so everyone was saying, is that what? That because Avimelech got all blocked up and Avram had to Davin, and Allah is when you Davin for someone who has the same problem as you and you Davin for them, you get answered. So because of Avimelech, if you think about it, that's how Sarah got pregnant. Not that Avimelech impregnated Sarah. It's backwards. Because of Avimelech doing what he did, getting his punishment, Avram davening for her, and because of that, Sarah got pregnant. So that was the way the rumor started, right? Every rumor starts somewhere. So he says that's how it started. He said, that's very interesting. He says, look at the Lashon of Rashi. Leitzanei Hador. It was that generation. They started the rumor because it started off not, no, not necessarily so negative. It started off that because of Avimelech, Avram Avinu got, got pregnant. Sarah got pregnant, which is not 100% wrong. But like everything in life, it trickled down to a new version. And then the next day, the next day, the next month, be, all of a sudden they forgot the story and all they know is, oh, Avimelech fathered Sarah. Avimelech fathered Yitzhak. So that's where it started. That was the, the origin of the, of the myth came from the fact that through Avimelech and Avram Avinu Davin for Avimelech, that's what helped Sarah get pregnant, which is definitely true. An interesting pshat where, where it comes from. In any case, that's what the Torah tells us that Avram So the Kliyoker points out over here, <clears throat> the Kliyoker points out a very nice idea where he differentiates between a ben and hoilada. Because it says in the passage, Ve'ela told us Yitzchak, ben Avraham, Avraham hoilid es Yitzchak. Avraham Avinu gave birth to Yitzchak. So the Kliyoker points out that Yitzchak being ben Avraham doesn't necessarily mean so much. He says that ben is not always all the values instilled were given over. He says, for example, you can have a Talmud who's a Ben. He says, a Ben doesn't mean that everything that I gave was to you. 
He writes, but when it comes to the Lashon, the Choylid, that's a much stronger level. So Avraham, Choylid is Yitzchak, means Avraham Avinu gave everything over to Yitzchak. Every shita, every value, every importance was passed over to him, as opposed to a Ben is not as such a strong bond and connection. He says that's why sometimes a student could be called your son, even though it's not necessarily biological and you did not necessarily give him over everything. But it's a connection, but Hoylid is a much stronger and deeper connection. But the Arachayim HaKadosh is something which I think is so important for all of us to, to realize. The Arachayim HaKadosh points out that the grammar over here, Avraham Hoylid Es Yitzchak, it sounds like Avraham Avinu bore Yitzchak. Avraham Avinu Hoylid Es Yitzchak. What does that mean, Avraham Avinu Hoylid Es Yitzchak? So the Arachayim HaKadosh does something really, really fascinating. He writes, he says over here that why was Yitzchak able to give birth? Because Eina Doim Etfilot Ben Sadik Letfilos Ben Russia, which hopefully we'll get to in a few minutes. So says the Arachaim, it comes out that the reason why Yitzhak was able to have children was really because of Avraham Avinu. So Avraham, means Avraham Avinu caused Yitzhak not to be born. He caused Yitzhak to be able to give birth to Yaakov. Avraham, means Avraham caused Yitzhak. How did Avraham Avinu cause him? Because Avraham Avinu was the Tzaddik, and Yitzhak was the Tzaddik ben Tzaddik, so it enabled Yitzhak's feelings to be stronger and to have more of an ability. So I would add that L'Chari, you see, according to this, you see that when you daven for another person, you're considered the cause for it. If I daven for someone to have a child, or I daven for someone to have success in something, that it's like attributed that as if I did it. It's an amazing thing. Avraham Avinu is called that he caused Yitzchak to give birth. Why? Because he davened for Yitzchak. So if I daven for someone to have a refuah shalim, Hashem is going to say, you gave him the refuah shalim. I'm not a doctor. The answer is, yeah, but my, through my feel, I have the ability to cause something like that, which is something very powerful, which is one of the messages of this week's parasha. Hopefully we'll get to it. I see the time is definitely not on my side already. But one of the main themes in this week's parasha, in my humble opinion, is the kaychat tefillah. We're going to see over and over in this week's parasha how powerful and how important and how valuable is davening. This week's parasha is over and over. We're going to see throughout the parasha the power of the davening, the ability that we have to daven for ourselves and for others as well. So we have over here in this week's parasha the first infertility in Kla Yisrael. Yitzhak and Rivka seems to be the first couple that experience infertility, which we'll get to in a few minutes. But the kasha really is, is that they're not the first couple to experience infertility because, you know, Avram Avinu and Sarah experienced infertility. So the question is, why is Avram and Sarah's infertility story not found on the pages of the Chumash? So again, many, many answers that are given. We mentioned in the past the, the classical answer from the Briskarov. I think I saw it also in B'Shem that Avram Avinu didn't even bother davening for Sarah because Sarah had no uterus. And you, you know from basic medicine that if you don't have a uterus, it's impossible to have a baby. So it was a tefillah shav as a waste of time. But I saw, I saw this week a Zaira Kaddish, an unbelievable Zaira Kaddish. The Zaira Kaddish says that Avram Avinu did not even bother asking for a child until he had the mitzvah of Mila. Because he didn't want to have a baby that wouldn't be Begeder Mila. So after he got the mitzvah of Mila, and now he has ready to do the mitzvah of Mila, now he's ready to have children, now it's time to have children. But before then, he wasn't. He didn't want any children. He'd be willing to give up the want, desire to have a child, because the child wouldn't be gemalt properly. He wouldn't have a Mila, he wouldn't have the mitzvah of Mila. And therefore, from Avinu waited, and uh, did not have children until significantly later. The Pasuk tells us, the Yitzchak ben Abraim Shana Yitzchak was quite an older single. Yitzchak was 40 years old. When he married Rivka, who's Rivka? She's the daughter of Besuel, 
the Arami from the town of Padan Aram, who happens to be the brother of Lavan, the Rami Loyli Isha. So the Arachayim HaKadosh already points out that this is not typical for the Torah to give us the age of when people get married. That's really not relevant. So why does the Torah tell us how old Yitzchak was when he got married? So the Arachayim HaKadosh says, because it's coming to answer Akasha. You'll ask, he got married so late. Why did Yitzchak get married so late? The answer is because there was only one girl that Yitzchak could marry and he had to wait for her to grow up. She had to become of age. And since Rivka was first born when Yitzchak went to the arcade at 37, so he had to wait at least three years for her to become Rui for relations. And then at three, he was able to marry her. That's the Arachayim HaKadosh's Pshat in, um, in why the Torah tells us this bit of information. Rashi learns, and this is uh, what every what we were told in elementary school, because Rashi says it, that Rivka was three years old at the Chasana, Riyitzchak was 40 years old, and they waited 20 years until they were unable to have children. And then finally, at the end of 20 years, they had their children, which means Yitzchak was 60 when he had Yaakov and Esav, and Rivka would be 23. However, it is worth noting, there is a famous opinion in Mishayim, it's quoted by the Das Ken Mabaliyataisvis, it's quoted by the Cheskuni, that the math is a little off, that Rivka was actually not three when she got married, but rather Rivka was 14 when she got married, which would then make Rivka, when she had the children, 34. Now, what's the basis for such a shita? So very, very quickly, the basis for such a shita is based on the premise that there's a medrash that says that three people all live the same amount of time in their life. That's uh, Kahas, Rivka, and Ben Azai. Okay? You figure out the connection between those three individuals. But the three individuals all live the same life. Which is what? Kahas, Rivka, and Ben Azai. And we know Rivka died at 133. Because we know that's how old Kahas was. So if we know Rivka was 133 and you do some quick math, it's going to come out that um, if you go backwards, so if Rivka was 133 when she died... And we know that Yaakov was 99 at the Chas, at the Leviah. So the math doesn't work out. The only way to math, for the math to work out is that she got married at 14 and had the children when she was 34. Now I happen to like this opinion also because we mentioned this uh, other passings that there's a Taisvis, but Taisvis has a Kasha that uh, Yitzchak had a sister. So if Yitzchak had a sister, her name was Bakoil. So if Yitzchak had a sister, why didn't Yitzchak marry his sister? Because Taisvi says, a Ben-Nayach is allowed to marry his sister. So one of the Chesidah Shirebbe's jokingly said, because you don't want to marry a Drusha. Right? The Gemara it doesn't say anywhere in the Chumash that Avram Avinu had a sister, that Yitzchak had a sister. The Gemara says, as it says in the Pasuk, Hashem Avram Hashem blessed Avram with everything. So the Gemara makes a Drusha, Bakoil means he had a daughter. So one of the Chesidah Shirebbe says, I don't want to marry, Yitzchak didn't want to marry a girl who's a Drusha. Because what happens if you upslug the drasha? The drasha is not true. Then his wife uh, you know, disappears. So he didn't want to marry a girl who's a drasha. Okay. But Taisus has this kasha. And Taisus gives an answer that uh, she was too young. So people ask me she was too young. Rivka was only three. But if you hold it, Rivka was taka 14. So then it's very gishmak. This girl was maybe much younger. Rivka was 14. 14 back then was, oh, she was a, she was a big girl already. She was maybe already uh, older comparatively. Obviously, it was even older, but maybe, so that works out much nicer if Rivka was actually 14 at her wedding instead of being 30, instead of being three at the wedding. But Rashi tells us the simple shot. Yes. Wouldn't it also make sense that it's more 14 than three? Because... I don't remember if the Rashi last week said her, but you know that you, you can't uh, marry a woman unless she has das. How does a woman three years old have das? Fourteen, okay, Mamela. You know she's already a book. You know she's already out of a captain. So Aktana, technically, her father marries her off. She doesn't need any consent. Her father can marry her off. 
Even though the Pasuk says that uh, that was the whole chap over there because her father died. That's why her father was already out of the picture. So then she already had a din of uh, Mimer because now her brother's in control. Uh-huh. It gets a little tricky. But in any case, uh, that's, what, uh, that's what Rashi says over here. Okay. So she was, they, and they had infertility problems. They weren't able to have children. I was listening this afternoon from, to Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg and he made a very, very powerful observation which I want to just mention. You know, he was talking about, obviously this week's parasha talks about infertility. Anyone that's ever been involved in infertility knows it's a very, very difficult parasha. I actually have the schuss to hopefully be soon trained from a rabbinic outlook, from a rabbinic um, uh, angle of, of infertility issues, which is very complicated. And I'm looking forward to being trained in that area because sadly, it is still an issue in Klai Yisrael, Baruch Hashem, with all the treatments and the medication we have. A lot of babies have been born, but there's still a lot of work to, to get done. But he points out something very, very powerful that I think is worth mentioning. He says, you know, they, they don't really warn couples for infertility issues. You know, couples get married, they, just, they, they watch what goes around them. You know, most people get married, then nine months later they have a baby. And, and it's not always the case. And it's not always the case, and very often it's not the case. And it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with anyone or anyone's bad. It just means that there might be issues that need to, to get looked at. And it's a very difficult pressure. So he suggested that maybe, you know, chassan classes and college teachers, they should just let their prospective, you know, students realize it's not necessarily a given that you get married and nine months later you have a baby. It's not as simple as it looks. The, the rates are, are, are whatever. There, there are statistics. Again, the statistics of conceiving a baby with two healthy people is only 25%, one out of four, which is very low. Okay, we look around, we see everyone has babies, so we figure it's no big deal. But it's, it's something worth mentioning that you know, we, we do paint a picture in our world that it's no big deal, it's so easy. It's not always so easy. And I've dealt with many couples that, that deal with it. Many couples deal with it alone. They don't involve their parents and their in-laws, which is a very complicated question. Should you or shouldn't you? A lot of factors involved. But it's a, it's a, it's a parasha that many young couples go through, and they go through it often alone. Baruch Hashem, there's wonderful organizations out there in Klai Yisrael that are fantastic. You have Pua, A-Time, Boine Oilam, just to name those that come to the top of my head, and I, I've been involved with A-Time, and I can tell you they do an amazing, unbelievable work. They're really tzaddikim yisraelim over there. So it's just something that, you know, this week's parasha is a good chance just to throw it out there. For those, if you know of people that are having difficulty with these things, it's, it's a very difficult parasha. It needs to be handled very, very sensitively. Hain mitzad the children and hain mitzad the parents. If, uh, you know, there are parents that, you know, watch their children get married, and they have to know where what line not to cross, where not to be a nudge, where not to get involved in their business, what's going on. If they ask you, that's one thing, to give you two cents, you have to just, it has to be done with a lot of seichel and a lot of yishavadas, just be careful for a lot of people's feelings and emotions. But in any case, so Yitzhak and Rivka is known as the first couple to deal with this problem of infertility. What happens, the Pazik tells us, before that, the Bechorinim all point out, why is the Torah giving us this uh, background about who Rivka was again? She was Bas Besuel. She was the sister of love. And so Rashi tells us a famous Rashi. Why is the Torah telling us that even though she came from such a background, Zak Rashi, so Lahagid Shvacha, it's telling us her praise. Shahisa Bas Rasha, she was the daughter of a Rasha. Viachais Rasha, she was a, a sister to a Rasha. Umikoima Anshe Rasha. And the people were terrible. Veloy Lomdo Mimasayim. She never learned from their actions. So this is the first time I, I, I saw someone point out this Diak and Rashi. I must have read this Rashi many years already. Why doesn't Rashi just say, Veloy Asa Kirishas? She didn't act like them. What do you mean, Veloy Lom Dama Sayim? She didn't learn from their actions. So what Rashi is telling us is it's, there's two things over here. There's one thing to be exposed to bad people, and you, 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 don't live, you don't live like them. 
But sometimes you pick up bad habits. You're a good person with bad habits. Then there's a, someone who's just a bad person. So the Torah is telling us, Besuel Mavan were bad people. But it could have been Rivka wasn't a bad person, but she picked up bad habits. Zokter Ashi Lomda, she didn't learn anything from them. Of course she didn't act like them. But even a small bad habit, a little slip, but this, nothing. Lomda, she picked up nothing from these people. She didn't learn a, a zero from them. She picked up no negative traits, no negative elements, no negative meters, zero garnished from them. And that's like an amazing shvach. That a person can be surrounded by such, such bad people and not even pick up a little bit, something, you know, something rubs off. Human, humans are humans. At the end of the day, you would think she must have hurt something and she must have... No! Zagrashi, she picked up nothing from these people. But the, the, the Sforno does write that Achois Lovan Arami, Zagta Sforno, this is the answer to the million dollar question. Where did Esav come from? How could it be Yitzchak and Rivka produce an Esav? Bishlam Avram Avinu and Hagar produce a Yishmael. Okay, because it's Hagar. But how could Avram and Rivka, two great, Yitzchak and Rivka, two unbelievable superstar people, top of the top, produce an Esav? The answer is, Achois Lovam. Right, we know we spoke about this many, many uh, whiles back in Halacha, a famous Gemara. The Gemara says, if you want to know how your child is going to look, so you look at the the wife's brothers, the woman's brothers. That's going to define or that's going to give you a lot of what the boy is go- the, the babies are going to be like. So we discussed it. That's true even at Not so simple, not so bullshit. We had a whole share about it. But in any case, that's what the Svono says is going on over here. The Achois love is the answer to where did Esav come from? That same thing, that's the terrorist for Esav. Esav came from those genes, those negative genes that, that Rivka had that produced the Esav that we're going to learn about. So the Torah tells us, "Vayeta Yitzchak Lashem Lenoichach Ishtoi." Yitzchak Davins, Yitzchak Davins Lenoichach Ishtoi. What does it mean, Lenoichach Ishtoi? So Rashi says, "Lenoichach Ishtoi" means <clears throat> opposite his wife. Ze oime bezov bezov zoom espal bezo oime bezov zoom. They daven in their own corners. He davened over there. She davened over there. They each did their own thing, and that's how and that's how they davened. But um, I saw a gavaldik pshat, which fits in very nicely to what we've been discussing in our series about Pikur Chaylam. We mentioned that the halacha is based on the Gemara that when you're davening for somebody, so if you're alive with the person, then you have to, you don't daven with their name. You just say you or the chayla. You don't have to say their name. But if you're davening away from the person, let's say you're davening for them in shul and they're in a hospital, so you have to say their name and their mother's name. Um, their mother's name. So the Pshan, the Pesach is like this. Vayeta Yitzchak Hashem Chachishta. Yitzchak didn't want to mention that she's Rivka. Yitzchak didn't want to daven. Hashem, please give Rivka Bas Pesuel or Bas whoever her, father, her mother was because they're not good people. He didn't want to attract attention to Rivka's background. But since Lenoichach, since he was davening in front of her, the Allah when you're davening in front of a chayla, you don't have to use the name. So you could just say Rivka. So he says, that's the Pshan the Pasuk. That's why the Tvila of, of Yitzchak was answered, not Yitzchak's Tvila, but the way Yitzchak davened. That since Yitzchak davened, Lenoichachishta, he davened for Rivka in a way that he didn't have to say her name. He just, he didn't have to say her mother's name or father's name. He just said, Lenoichach, it was Lenoichachishta, and that's why the Tvilas were answered, because Hashem didn't have to start digging and looking back into the family background. But in any case, what does it say in the Pasuk? He davened, why? Ki akarihi. <clears throat> Because she was an Akara. Because she was an Akara, she wasn't able to have children. So there's a whole discussion in the Rishonim. Is it Akara he or Akara who? Who was the Akara? Was Yitzhak also unable to have children? Or was Rivka only the one unable to have children? A whole discussion. Meshachachma assumes that 
that perhaps it was only it was only it was only Rivka that was the Akara. Yitzhak was able to have children. But the Meshachma has a nice pshat in the word who. The word who is Gematria twelve. So he says, how many years was Rivka really in Akara? She was only in Akara for 12 years. Why? If you hold that when she had the children, she was 23, and the earliest time that you can conceive to have children is uh, is when you're... Uh, so she was 23. So he says 23 minus 12. That's how many years she was really in Akara. Because, I'm sorry, she was only in Akara for 12 years. Because what's 23 minus 12? What do we have? 23 minus 12 is 11. So he says the earliest you can get pregnant is 11. I don't know if the doctors agree with that today. He says the earliest you can get pregnant is 11. So therefore, says the Meshachach, so how many years was she really in Akara? She was only in Akara for 12 years. That's the Pasuk, Ki Akara, he, who, he, Vav Aleph, is 12. And she was really only in Akara for, for 12 years. <clears throat> um, so what happens? She is in Akara. And Hashem answers his tefillah. And lo and behold, she gets pregnant. So we all know the famous Rashi. Rashi says, Vayeter loy, loy veloy lo. Hashem answered his tefillas and not her tefillas. Why is that Rashi? Says Rashi, according to Gemara, because you can't compare the tefillas of a tzaddik ben tzaddik, that's, that's Avram Avin, Yitzchak is a tzaddik ben tzaddik, to Sarah, who was only a tzaddik bas Rosh. So the obvious kasha that everyone asks when they read this Rashi is it should be the contrary. If so, we just got finished saying in Rashi how hard she had to work to get to where she was. Her brother was a low life. Her father was terrible. The town was terrible. And still she came out to be amazing. Shouldn't that be her ticket to success? Yitzchak was raised in uh, Avram Avinu's house. He was raised by learning with his father, being trained by his father, being exposed to his father. So why does he get so much credit? That's the kasha that everyone has on this Rashi. So the answer that, the classical answer that everyone gives is that you're right, but that's not how tefillah works. Tefillah works with schos avis. Tefillah works with tapping in to previous generations. So maybe you're right, 100% on her own marriage, she was a fantastic woman, she was a great woman, but at the end of the day, when it comes to tefillah, Kosh Baruch Hu takes tefillah's avis, schos avis plays an amazing role. This is why sometimes people have to go back and appreciate the generations before them. You know, maybe they weren't as learned as us because they didn't have the opportunities to go to yeshiva, especially those that were American-based. But they had such a muna, they had such a devotion to Hakadosh Baruch They were most nervous to lose their jobs every every Friday. These are great people. So when we daven, we're 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 pulling off of we're we're we're, we're trying to use their zechusim. It's an amazing thing to think about. We all have hopefully. <clears throat> Dairy diaries of people that we know of, grandparents, great-grandparents, how many generations to go back, of people that were amazing people and our tefillahs become stronger because we're children and descendants of them. But Reb Steinman makes a very important observation in this Rashi, which I always point out to when I go to speak to high school girls, I point out this Rashi. Reb Steinman says, I don't understand Rashi. If you want to know why Yitzchak was answered over Rivka, the answer is partial. Yitzchak was a boy, he had more mitzvahs, he learned Torah, he was a masmid. He said shu'urim. Of course his tefillah is going to be answered. Said Reb Steinman, you see from Rashi that that's not a reason for your tefillahs to be more answered than a woman. A woman's tefillahs have the same potency, the same ability, the same possibility as a man who learns Torah and puts on tefillin and, and does all mitzvahs that men do. Don't think that women are second class citizens because they're not as, they don't have the same mitzvahs as men. Zakhtar Epstein, the only reason why her tefillahs were not answered is not because of her gender and her mitzvahs, was because of her background. Such an empowering message for uh, people to realize 
that we're not bound by our gender. Each gender is unique and special, and everyone has the ability to do amazing things. So, Ramosha Bik points out in his say for something to think about. We all know the famous Gemara in Yavamis. The Gemara has the question, why were all the Imois Akaros? Why did all the Imois struggle with infertility? It's a very basic question you have to ask yourself when you go through Sefer Bereshis. It almost seems to be hard to understand why was Hashem so mean or so difficult for our great Imois and made them all Akaros. So the Gemara says, because Hashem loves the Tfilos of Tzadik. But Ramesh Yibik elaborates and he explains, and others say it this way also, that the Imois needed to go through like a, a cleansing process. That the Imois all came from stock of not necessarily perfect people, which itself is a drasha that we have to, you know, that, that people talk about. Now, Avram Avinu was so particular in who he picked for Shadokim, so you would think he would pick a girl that's, you know, such a beautiful pedigree. He picked a girl that, as Rashi told us, the father was no good, the brother was no good, the people were no good, and yet this was the girl to pick. So we know the famous drasha Saran, where the Ram points out that the people might be no good. But um, he says that they just, their problem was, they didn't believe in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They, they lacked Yediyas Hashem. That you could teach someone. But Canaan, the problem with Canaan is Canaan has bad midas. Bad midas is something that's passed down into the DNA. That's what the, 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 the Rosh Haram points out. But in any case, what, what does it mean that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so he explains that they had to go through this Nisoyin to be able to, to cleanse whatever Chesreinus they had. Whatever this means exactly, I can't tell you. And that's why they had to go through this difficult time, this difficult thing. There's a, a medrash, an unbelievable medrash, Tanchuma. The Tanchuma says that the reason why the Imois had to be Akaros because the Imois had everything else going for them. They were pretty, they had money. So this is the Lashon of Tanchuma, don't, don't bite my head off. The Tanchuma says if they would have been having children right away, they wouldn't have damned Hashem because they had everything else going for them. So therefore, Kosh Baruch Hu B'davka gave them this difficulty in order to get them to Davin, which itself is a Musa Shmuz. Very often in life, Hashem wants us to reach out to Him. He wants us to talk to Him. So if we talk to Him on our own, so great. But if, he, if the only way we'll talk to Him is because things aren't going well, then Hashem will make things not go well in order for, him to, uh, to, in order for us to want to talk to Him. So what happens? So Baruch Hashem V'tahariv Ko'ishtoi, she conceives, she gets pregnant. And now she is uh, much happier, Baruch Hashem. The story has a happy ending. She conceives and she becomes pregnant. So what happens? Pasuk tells us, And there's fighting inside the womb. And she says, So she says, What do I need this for? She goes to seek out the word of Hashem. So this is obviously a very... Very difficult uh, understanding over here. What, what was she complaining about? What was her taina? What, what happened over here? She was waiting. Any woman that waits so for so many years, 20 years to have a child, which is uh, an amazing thing. She waits that long to have a child. You would think she'd be able to handle whatever pains come along with <coughs> pregnancy, especially if you, twins is probably even more uncomfortabilities in the pregnancy. So what was this, you know, what was, what was it all worth? So... Many Mepharshim learn that she figured to herself that, what do I have over here? My Rashi tells us, the famous Medrash, that, that when she would, Rashi writes, When she passed by the opening of the Torah, the base Medrash of Shem Ve'ever, One baby would make a dash to try to get out. 
Oiveris al Pischavizar when she'd pass the doors of the Avoidizar, Aesabafaches So first of all you have to pick this up in Rashi. Rashi says that by the Avoidizar she was Oiveris. Because Rivka wouldn't be standing in front of a base of Avodah She had to pass it because she had to get to the store. She had to get to where she go. But the base, but the base medrash of shame there, the lashon of Rashi is very different. The Rashi says Avodah She passed through it. She would, she would go there on purpose. But the base of Avodah she was, she was Avodah She was stuck. She was what's the lashon of Rashi? Rashi says Avodah by both places. Avodah apischi teira. Averis Rashi says the same lotion. I thought Rashi had a different lotion. Okay, Averis Rashi says both both times. But in any case, the cash is why was he trying to leave? If you learn Torah in utero, so why was Yaakov trying to leave? So the famous answer they give is because he had a bad neighbor next to him. Abraham Salvechik said, You have a bad neighbor next to you, you can have the best Rebbe in the world, but you want to get out. So that's why Yaakov was trying to get out because he knew Yaakov was right next to him in the womb. He was staring his learning. He was getting in his way. Fine. So what happens? So she says to herself, I have a uh, confused baby over here. I have a confused baby. That, what's it worth? Well, I'm, I, Rivka looked at children. This is what Basha Weiss points out. Rivka looked at children as a means to bring Kovic Shemaim into the world. She didn't look at children as a means to have a legacy, a means to have someone to dress up, a means to have someone who will take care of them, a means to have a tax deduction. They looked at children as a means to bring covet Shemaim. So she said to herself, what, what's it worth? This kid's uh, he's not going to bring covet Shemaim. He's trying to get to the baby. He's a, he's a confused child. He's all messed up. He's not going to be a typical baby that's just going to bring Nachas Takalash Baruch. What do I need it for? Which is an amazing thing to think about. No, people would, 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 would give anything to have a child. Okay, so the kid's not perfect. Fine. But at least I have a child. At least I have a, I have someone. No, she said, What's it worth? If the child is not going to be able to bring Nachas Ruach to Baruch to me, it's not worth it. That was, that was his idea. <clears throat> the Maral points out that Rivka was coming with a different time. Rivka was saying that the Gemara says that Tsar Leda, Tsar, Tsar Haroyon, Someone has pregnancy pains, that's all part of uh, Chava's klala. But if a woman is such a madrega, where she's uh, above that, so then she won't get uh, tsar of, of pregnancy. So Rivka said, like, self, said to herself like this, meaning if I'm experiencing all this pain, so clearly I'm not such a high level. So if I'm not such a high level, this is the Gavaldika part, if I'm not such a high level, so I'm not a Tadekis. So I'm not today because why did Hashem make me an akara for all these years? He told me Hashem made me an akara because he wants my tefillahs because he loved the tefillah of Atzadik. But I'm just concerned because if I were to be Atzadikes, I wouldn't have all these uh, complications in the pregnancy because that all comes from chava for people that are not Atzadikes. Very cute vart. That's the vatayim in loma zanoichi means not why am I going through the pregnancy loma zanoichi why do I have all these years and not ha- not being able to get pregnant? I should be like every other woman who should be able to get pregnant right away. So what happens? But Taylor, the, the, the Pashup shot is, is that what she was saying is, is that this doesn't make sense. This is not a typical pregnancy. This is a miracle pregnancy. Miracle pregnancy shouldn't have babies with split personalities. Split personalities are abnormal. <clears throat> and this is, this is, mamish, this is a, 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 a heavenly sent pregnancy. A heavenly sent pregnancy shouldn't have all these complications. That's Imkem Lomazanech. What's going on with it? This is, ha- this is handpicked by Kodesh Baruch Hu, this pregnancy. This is not typical pregnancy, two people coming together naturally. This is Hashem, Yad Hashem Bakoyal over here. It doesn't make any sense. So what happened? So she went, says the Pasuk, she went to search out, see, search out the Word of God. Where did she go? The base Midrasha Shoshim. 
She went to the base medrash of shame. So first of all, right away, the diak is, is, is very interesting. Many people ask, whatever ended up happening to all these people who learned in the base medrash of shame? You don't hear much about it. You don't hear that they produce Talmidim. You don't hear that they produce... You hear Avram Avinu had Talmidim. You don't hear much about the Talmidim of the, the base Midrash Hashal Shem. So I saw Abshan in the Sefer. It's very, very important for Mechanachim for sure and I think really for everyone. You know, there are people that go to Yeshiva. There are people that go to Shul. But they never really develop a relationship with anyone there. They go to Shul and they, they don't really get a relationship with the Rav or, or with the Rebbe in Yeshiva, but they go. He says that's what base midrash Hashem was like that. Base midrash Hashem was it was a drop-in center. You come to learn. We're offering shurim. We're offering you know uh, different things to do. But there's no real relationship building. There's no kesher. There's no meaningful relationship with you getting one-on-one with a person who's going to be able to advise you and guide you and know what you're going through. That, the base midrash Hashem was a drop-off center. And we have. I hate to say it, are you shivas like that today? That are just dropping centers. You come and you drop in there and you're learning. You'll pick up a, a nice vart and you'll hear a nice hakir from a rebbe or, or a magid shir and you move on your own. There's no real relationship building. That's a base, that's a base medrash. No, 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 nothing really forms of that. But when you have a yeshiva, when you have talmidim, talmidim is a different relationship. Talmidim is a much more close relationship, a much more uh, individual relationship. That's Talmidim. That's someone you grow from, you grow with. And that's the difference in the, in, in the two relationships. They say over about Reb Simcha was once, um, was once on a plane and he was sitting next to a retired college professor. The college professor was basically saying he's retired and he, you know, he has no real connection to uh, any of his students. So Reb Simcha asked him, he said, you don't get invited to all your many students' weddings? So the college professor said, what are you talking about? I don't get invited, don't get invited to the weddings. I have, you know, no shaykhs to my students. You know, besides for just teaching them the material. So Rav Simcha said, I don't understand. My tamidim, my students all make weddings. They invite me to all of them. So he was saying, that's the difference between a college professor and a rebbe. A college professor teaches students and they move on. There's no real relationship. It's an educational-based experience. That was, that was, that was, that was the base medrash of shame. It was come, we'll educate you, we'll teach you, but there's no, there's no individualized relationship. And it's a problem today because <clears throat> people do this. They don't want to get a relationship with anyone. They go to shul, they dive in the same shul, but they never want to talk to the rabbi. They never want to get to you know, speak to them about what's going on. They don't want to ask any shayos. But uh, then you're just using the shul as a drop-in center. You're not using it as a way, as a chetimsa, to build a relationship. The Mepharshim ask, why didn't they go to Avram or to Yitzchak? Avram and Yitzchak were great people. Why didn't she bring her problems to Avram and Yitzchak? So I always say that this is a raya, that sometimes you don't want to bring your problems to family. It's uncomfortable. It's not, uh, it's not easy to go to people that are family and tell them what's going on. The Medrash actually says, that, uh, someone says that Avram Avinu was, 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 was not told about it. It was, was not told about it that... Um, about about this, Avram Avinu didn't know what was going on. This was to be hidden from Avram Avinu, so he shouldn't be mitzdar over it. But I, I think the answer is maybe a little different. Shame was much older than Avram Avinu <clears throat> by far. So you know, people talk about das Torah. Part of das Torah is not just someone who knows a lot of Torah, but also the greatest das Torah in Klai Yisrael. Usually, the oldest people in Klai Yisrael. They've been around a lot. They've seen a lot. They've been around the block a few times. So Avram Avinu, so, so Rivka was looking for not only the biggest Talmud Chacham, but the oldest Talmud Chacham, because the oldest Talmud Chacham have seen a lot. They heard, they know, they, 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 that's why their Eitzah is so, is so uh, <clears throat> desirable, not just because they're big Talmud Chacham, but they also have experience. So maybe that's why she went to shame instead of going to her own husband. In any case, we all know the report. <clears throat> 
the report is that you're going to have two children, and it's amazing. Once Rivka hears this, she's fine. She's like, okay, great, two children, one's going to be from, one's not going to be from, I'm, I'm happy. Oh, what changed? So Pashipshad is that she thought she has one child with, with, with multiple personalities. And then she's told it's two children, so she's willing to accept that. I'll have two different children, two different paths. There's a murdik in Itziv in this week's parsha. I would never say it on my own, but then Itziv says it. And obviously, it should be taken with a very large grain of salt. And then Itziv says that that was Yitzchak's mistake with Yaakov and Esav. Yaakov and Esav are two different children. And this week's parsha, the Torah is teaching us a very important lesson of We have to teach, educate our children very different. Every child is different. There's no cookie cutter child. Yaakov needed his way, and Esav needed his way. And uh, they were very different. So when Rivka heard that she's going to have two children, she was okay with that. Two children, no problem. But if I'm going to have one child with split personalities, what, what am I going to do with that? Ibn Ayyushit says that Rivka thought initially that she's going to have a child that's going to do what's called shittuf. He's going to be a Christian. And she said, I don't want my child to be a Christian. No, no, it's not going to be a Christian. He's going to be a real life if I desire. No, don't worry. He's going to be against, one's going to be totally off and one's going to be totally uh, from. And that, that she was happy with. Okay. So what happens? Vayidul on the arm, the kids grow up. <clears throat> the kids grow up, and uh, all of a sudden now we start to see that they're not the same. They go their separate paths. Yaakov becomes the Ish Tom Yoshevalu. Many people suggest that's how Rabbeinu Tam got his name, Rabbeinu Tam. The famous Rabbeinu Tam, the grandson of Rashi. How did he get the name Tam? So there's different versions. I know someone's going to yell at me for this because there's another version how he got this name based on the Taisis and Subis. But some people do say he got the name based on the Pasuk Yaakov Ishtam and Rabbeinu Tam's name was Yaakov. So they called him Rabbeinu Tam because Yaakov Ishtam because I think he had a... Someone else was named Yaakov. So they wanted to differentiate between the two. So he was called Rabbeinu Tam. Uh, Yaakov Ishtam. Okay. But we know Yaakov Avinu represents Torah and Esav Avinu... Esav... Not Avinu. Esav went a totally different path. So Rav Shechter said over a story, I thought this was uh, hard to imagine that it's true, but he said over that uh, when they used to be um, Aguda, the Aguda used to make a Shabbos, which they still do, they have a convention, and he said OU used to have a convention, and they weren't very far away from each other distance-wise. He said one of the speakers got up at the OU convention, and he said, that what's the difference between this convention and the Aguda convention? He said the Aguda convention, the Aguda is Yaakov. They go to the Batamidrashim and to the shuls, and we, the OU, we're Esav. We go to the field, to the streets, to do Kirov in the people. So Reb Shechter comments, he thought that was a little crazy to compare the OU to, to Esav. And then he said another story that um, there was a rabbi, he said in the New York area, whatever that means, where he gave a Joshua Shabbos afternoon where he told his Balabatim that Yaakov represents uh, Loim de Teiro, the Rabbonim and the Rabbeim, and Esav represents the Balabatim. And he says that uh, the Baal Shul got obviously very upset over that. And there was a whole fight. They wanted to leave the Shul. So obviously that's not, not something you want to say to anyone. You, want, you don't want to compare your Baal to Esav, nor do you want to compare the OU to Esav. But Yaakov Kamenetsky does make the following point. Yaakov points out that initially the plan was that Yaakov was no, was no fool. I know I hate when people learn Pashas told us and they get this impression that Yaakov was this aloof father who had no idea what his son was doing. You know, Yitzhak was under 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 his nose. Yeah, Esav was doing cold over, and Yitzhak was thinking that he was learning all day. Yitzhak was no fool. 
Yitzhak was a lot smarter than all of us. Yitzhak knew exactly what Esav was up to. So what was this relationship, him and, 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 and Esav? So some people say his relationship was he felt that this is the way he's going to keep him close. Now they have this connection, they have this bond. Esav was very into keep it of aim, so this is what's going to keep them connected. And very often, Mechanchem have to do this. They have to find one thing that connects them to the Talmud and they hold on to that forever and that's what hopefully will build the relationship. But if Yaakov suggested that Yaakov, Yitzchak knew, Esav is not cut out for Yeshiva, not that he's, uh, Esav is going to support Tyra. That was Esav's role. Esav's role was that he was going to be the Mepharnes HaTayr. He's going to have a connection to Judaism. He's not going to be Ishtam, but he'll support the Tayr. Maybe that's what the rabbi meant when he called his Baal Batim Esav. I, I don't know. I wasn't there. But it's and not in a negative way. The point was that Esav was supposed to be the Machziki HaTayr, and Yaakov was supposed to be the Lundi HaTayr. The problem was Esav didn't keep his end of the deal. Esav went the other way. Instead of just not learning full-time and working, he decided to go all the opposite degree and become a grub mensch. But in life, said Yaakov, the initial plan <clears throat> was for each one of them to have their way of serving HaKadosh Baruch and it would work in a very, Lamosho, like Yisach HaZvulim. Yisach HaZvulim, we've spoken about many times, is a beautiful harmony between the Loim Dei Torah and the Machziki HaTorah. So Rabbi Yaakov said that was supposed to be Yaakov and Esav. It was supposed to be that we were, going to be, we we're not going to have to come up, we were supposed to live in a utopia world where we'd be supported from our own. We wouldn't have to go to the outside world to get money, and we'd all support ourselves. But Esav didn't step up to the plate to do his to do his job. Rashi quotes over here a famous medrash, which again I think we all learned it when we were little, but now we can appreciate it much better. Rashi says that Avram Avinu was supposed to live till one hundred and eighty, but Avram Avinu died at one hundred and seventy-five. Why? So he shouldn't see all the ra that Esav did. So we all read that Rashi, and I don't know how much it sinks in for a second. Let's stop for a second and realize what that means. Avram Avinu, five years of Avram Avinu's life, is unbelievable what he could have done. Can you imagine how much Kirov and, and Habatz's Torah Avram Avinu could have done with five years of his life? And Rashi, okay, he lost five years, okay, fine, 175, 180. It's an amazing thing to think about. How HaKadosh Baruch Hu took away five years, which could have been who knows how much Torah and, and, and Yahadu spread, taught, educated, how many Geirim he could have been Megari, how much Torah could have been learned. But Avram Avinu lost that so he shouldn't see the tsar of his children. Which itself is a, a major Moshe to see how painful it is for parents to see when their children don't follow in the way that they want for them, in the path that they hoped for them. It's very painful. And therefore it was Kedai for Avram Avinu to lose five years of his life, which could have been unbelievably productive and, and, and meaningful for Klai Yisrael, so he should not see his, child beha- his, his grandchild behaving uh, inappropriately. Abraham Kenevsky also makes the same observation that I mentioned to you before. <clears throat> that that Esau was not this this thug. You know, we picture Esau, you know, they make in, in the in the school they picture Esau, you know, the, 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 the punk rocker, you know, with tattoos and piercings and all the other things. He, he points out as as does many other, you have to look at Esau with a totally different vision. You have to look at Esau as someone who grew up in a from home, someone who believed in it. How do I know Esau believed in it? Because why was he so bent out of shape about losing the Bakhira? Why do you care? You're a punk rocker. You, you don't believe in Judaism. You don't believe in monotheism. You don't believe in God. So why do you care about losing a blessing from an old man? The answer was Avada he believed. But he had such taiva. He couldn't overcome his taiva. He had desires. He liked, uh, he liked his women and he liked his hunting and he liked his lifestyle. His lifestyle overtook the Hashiva Satayr. But make no mistake, he was mashib. He valued it. He thought it was important. He just couldn't. He couldn't overcome the Nisoyim. The temptation was so strong, he wasn't able to overcome it. 
Okay, we didn't get to uh, a lot of what we were supposed to get to. We ran out of time. Kedaka Kodesh over here. But we'll leave off with one vart. Uh, a couple of arts, maybe. Shleim uh, Bloch was a Talmud of the Chavetz Chaim. And he points out something very important also. He says that one of the ways Yaakov got his name Edom was because he said, give me that red stuff. So he says, you know, it's a lot easier to get a bad name than it is to get a good name. You can work for your entire life to develop a shame toy, but it's going to be very hard to get one. But a shame right, you do one thing wrong, you'll get labeled forever with that negative, negative uh, trait, that negative character trait. Very quickly, that will come. Um, one last part. Okay, this will this will have to. Okay, we'll we'll have to end off with this because it's getting late already. Um, we all know the famous story this week's parsha that uh, Yitzchak gets so to say fooled or almost fooled by Yaakov dressing up in Esav's clothing and the famous line Hakol Kol Yaakov Vaidai Midi Esav. Why was Hakol Kol Yaakov? So Rashi points out that uh, Yitzchak, uh, Yaakov gave it away almost by talking too nicely. Yitzchak, got, y- y- Yitzchak was able to tell something was off because Yitzchak spoke so nice. So the obvious kasha is, you know, Rivka and, and Yaakov had a plan. They worked this out. They worked down the details. You would have thought, they would've, someone would have thought about the fact that Yitzchak talks like a Lahavdil, a truck driver, and Yaakov talks like a nice Ben Taira. So someone would have told Yitzchak, you know, Rivka should have told Yaakov, Yaakov, you know, for one day I want you to, uh, don't talk like such a nice boy. Be a little vulgar. Be a little disgusting. Be a little rough around the edges. You know, they covered every other basis. You'd think they would have covered this also. So the first time I heard this kasha was a few years ago. I heard this from Rabbi Bender. I heard such a kasha. But then later I found Rabbi Moshe Feinstein asked this kasha. And they give this, the same answer is given. They say, Avada. When, Yit, when, when Yaakov and, and Rivka played out this charade, they practiced it. They put on Esav's clothing and Yaakov stood in front of the mirror and started talking like Esav. You dad, bye all that trash talk. But when, when push comes to shove, Yaakov couldn't do it. Because deep down, Yaakov was a Ben Taira, and he couldn't talk that way. He couldn't even fake talking that way. And therefore, even though this could have thrown the whole, uh, the whole scheme, it just he couldn't do it. That's just not who Yaakov was. A real Ben Taira, he just can't talk that way. Pasnished, can't. His DNA didn't allow him to talk that way. That was who Yaakov was. His whole Mahos was good. His whole Mahos was Kedusha. He couldn't get the words out even though he wanted to. And he needed to. He couldn't get the words out, even though it would have perhaps been the deal breaker in this little charade that he was trying to pull to ensure the future of his family and ultimately the future of Klai Okay, everybody say, have a wonderful Shabbos.